people. Hello, my friends, and welcome to No Normal People. I'm your host, Stephen and Henning. And I'm your host, Dixie wow. Lee Henning. Coming in with the big in energy. Hot. Look at that. I and only this is come a podcast. Wait, hold on. Let okay. me say the catch line. Okay. And this is a podcast no, where we prove, we prove that the that more you the get. The more you get to know the normal people in your life, you discover that there really are no normal people in your life. In your life. Nice. There it goes. Nailed it. Why you have a lot of you have big energy today, babe? Yeah, I always have big energy. What's up? How are you feeling? Um, well, today I saw three dogs. Um, you did? Yeah. I didn't even see one. Well, I saw one on Twitter. Does that, that count? count? Okay. Well, you then I didn't see them even in real see life. one. I saw three whole dogs. <laughs> no, I saw three <laughs> half dogs. Saw one point eight <laughs> dogs. I saw six dogs technically, but only half of. Each dog. Huh. So three total. Three complete. Yeah. You saw 12 legs worth of dogs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a weird way to say that. Which way do you think they would be divided? Down you, the middle. <laughs> like a profile view or like, like the back off the front? Tip of the, the nose to the tip of the tail. Oh, is that like that cartoon? What's that cartoon? The dog? Cat dog? That's not. Yes. No, it's down the. It's Thank you. Through the torso. Yeah, it's through the torso. Yeah. Absolutely. How did they poop? I don't want to overthink it. I really don't. I, I can't do this. I kind of want to think it. I no, want to think babe, it. You know what I did realize is I was looking at the calendar and uh, I think this very podcast intro is the last thing we're going to record in this room. Because we're dying. What? No, because we're buying a home. <laughs> Wait, do you think I was predicting our deaths? I mean, I don't know. No. You do you, man. We're buying a home. I mean, you've, you've seemed pretty sad lately. We're, like, wow. Like maybe, maybe this is it. No, it's not. It's not. But we are moving is what? what's happening. Yes. Should we tell you them our this. address? No, we should not. There's a cat on my foot. Yeah. Oh, he's tipped over. His name is Eeyore. He's tipped over. Look at him. It's very cute. Oh, look at his little belly and his toe beans. You're so cute. Hello, Eeyore. Okay, we're back to the oh, back sorry. back to the podcast. He's just so cute. Other big news besides the Hennings are moving, and this is our last recording in this. Should I just call it bedroom or studio? Stu- um, studio studio room nope that's Bed-io. still just the studio Bed-io. there you go uh the other thing is that we have a coffee blend up and available in partnership with our friend gary at revel coffee yeah and people are like buying it and stuff and drinking people it bought it and telling us how good it is and they put it in their face mouth it's yes mm-hmm. that's what you do that's what you do with that's it how you drink so the No Normal People Coffee Blend is finally here after how many, many times moons. of us many moons have passed. teasing as if it was going to come within the next few weeks? Many moons. It's actually here now. It's on, we did it. Go to nonormalpeople.com slash store. Slash store. And go get yourself some coffee. Get yourself some coffee. And give yourself 
this it's like 8.30 at night, but you have the energy as if you just drank many cups Seven of our delicious coffee. Of- Fueled by no normal people is what you are. Yeah. Well. Mm-hmm. Speaking of no normal people, we have a new one. We have a new normal. We have a new normal people. Yeah. Per- and her name is Tiffany. Person. Yep. Her name is Tiffany Thorpe. Thorpe. Tiffany and I met on Twitter. <gasps> and it's fantastic. I am increasingly convinced that calling quote unquote online relationships like I don't think we have to qualify online or digital anymore we're just humans interacting now and the internet is another place to do that you know so I'm not going to say we're internet friends I'm just going to say we're friends you because lost me at Twitter what I'm just kidding. I did not <laughs> Tiffany just released some new music out into the world under the name Aurelia's voice do you know what Aurelia means pop quiz is it a flower no <laughs> well, that dead ended. It okay. <laughs> to ask me again. It means golden. No, you were supposed it's a to Latin ask name. me again. I was. You were supposed to ask me again. I was gonna get it. Do you know what Aurelia means? Well, now I know. You said it just now. You asked me to ask you. Golden again. retriever. Yes, just like that. But golden is really what it is. So, yeah. like her musician's name is Golden Voice, and it's absolutely amazing. Uh, she has quite the story of uh, experiencing trauma through a, like a past church experience, pretty wild stuff. We talked about her music, her making very unique music, mm-hmm. I might add. She's a classically trained mezzo soprano. Mezzo. It creates a whole new musical feel. It's something brand new to no normal. We've featured musicians before, mm-hmm. but this stuff is new. I'm really into yeah. it. So people can go follow her. We have links in the show notes to her Instagram and Twitter and Spotify and YouTube because she just released Mm -hmm. her new record this week. She does say something at the end about live streams happening on March 28th. The links are up on Instagram. You can watch those. The live streams have already happened, but you can watch them anyway. Why not? This is just to show you that classical music people are normal people too. You know? Wow. It's like theater kids. You know, it's like we're all we're all here mm. in our meat bodies. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Participating in things. I just the more I do this show, the more I realize that normal is not it's fake. Normal Dude, is fake. I Nothing's love, normal. I love singing classical music. Right. It's so fun. It's it is amazing. way more fun than singing like pop songs. Also, Absolutely. I have a completely different voice. You do. For classical music and you like do. musical and awesome. theater yes <laughs> like it's they're complete i have split personality yes <laughs> it's great yeah but classical i'm into it it's my jam and uh it's tiffany's jam so let's go to our interview with tiffany We are going to get started with rapid fire questions. These are all just from the gut. No need to explain your answer or even think about it too hard. We just want to see where you go with it. So, Tiffany, are you ready? I'm ready. Homebody or free spirit? Homebody. Spender or saver? Saver. Do you call it soda or pop? Uh, I switch back and forth. Books or movies? Books. Introvert or extrovert? Introvert. City or country? City. Change or consistency? Mm, I think I'm square in the middle. Like I, I consistency feels safe, but I crave change. Are you task oriented or people oriented? Task oriented. Instagram or Twitter? 
Instagram. Oceans or lakes? Lakes. Rain or sun? Rain. Sea or space? Mm, space. Beaches or mountains? Beaches. Cats or dogs? Cats. Sunrise or sunset? Sunrise. East coast or west coast? East coast. Laundry or dishes? Laundry. Passenger or driver? You know, I'd like to say I, I prefer driver, but really passenger. Handshakes or hugs? Handshakes. Phone calls or texts? Texts. Well, you did it. The most stressful it. part is over. The rapid yeah, fire. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like that one's not as stressful because it's like, you know, black and white. You just, you right. just pick one. It's true. Yeah, that's fair. Well, okay, so then let's see how these icebreakers go. Dixie, take it away. <laughs> okay. Icebreakers. It's more stressful when I start talking. <laughs> <laughs> what is a food that you will never eat? Oysters. Yeah. I'm pretty mm. adventurous. I I will try almost any food, but oysters just mm, there's just nothing that I, I just don't think you could pay me to eat them. Yeah. <laughs> I make I make a point not to eat anything that looks like it has come out of a body. Yeah, right. And yeah. Oysters <laughs> are on that list. So mm. <laughs> Yeah, they belong in like a, a tissue, not yeah. in my mouth. <laughs> yeah, please no, God. <laughs> so what is the worst fashion trend you've ever participated in? Okay, so there are many. When I was younger, you know, I'm talking like middle school, I, I, and even a little bit before middle school, I was very uh, expressive in how I dressed. And so, Mm -hmm. I mean, I would wear some really weird stuff, but I think what stands out to me as probably the worst trend was I had this poncho. Oh, God. (laughs) You don't even have to finish the sentence. Oh, it gets worse, though. It gets worse. (laughs) (laughs) It had like rainbow colored diamonds all over it. And if that wasn't enough, (laughs) on the uh, there were like these little tassels, these little pom pom tassels. And I loved this poncho. And there's a photo of me somewhere wearing it. I I don't know where it is. Maybe I destroyed it. Oh, no. Oh, man. Maybe I destroyed it. I, I loved it. I loved it. And I'm a few years older than you guys. So I don't know like if you guys were old enough to like be into the all the 90s stuff that was really popular. Oh, yeah. Or like the not 90s, but it was like the, the 60s stuff came back. All the hippie stuff came back. Oh, yeah. Yep. And mm-hmm. it was like, man, I was into that hardcore because that's that's kind of my vibe, I guess. Or it yeah. was. OK, what is your biggest pet peeve? My biggest pet peeve is when people are passive aggressive. Oh, yes. <laughs> I partially because it's just confusing to me. I don't understand it. So like if someone's beating around the bush, I, I most of the time I really just have no idea what they're trying to say to me. Right. And so <laughs> I'm just I just need you to come out and say it yeah. and I'm it's not hard for me to just hear things at face value and I actually really crave that because it, it's easier for me. I don't read mm. between the lines very well. I've had to work really hard at like developing uh, like nonverbal communication skills and things like that. So <laughs> right. passive aggression just drives me crazy because I feel like the person wants something from me, but they won't tell me what it is. And then, so I, a lot of times just will not engage with that. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't, I don't do passive aggressive either. I usually end up being yeah. like, Okay, shut up and start over. Straight into the point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. And I actually work with my kids on that. Like they're not passive aggressive, but sometimes children need a little help. Yeah. You know, communicating what they want. And so a lot of times if they're like, you know, I I need milk, you know, it's like, okay, <laughs> let's frame this into like a clear 
sentence where you can ask for what you need in this moment, you know? Yeah. So just treat everybody who's passive aggressive like children. (laughs) That's a great idea. Wow. (laughs) Great idea. But I think it comes from that. I think it comes from, you know, growing up in a way in which you were not permitted or welcome to just say what you need. Right. Yeah. Or like people not feeling like they're welcome to um, express themselves. Right. You're not allowed to have an opinion. Keep it secret. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Who would you call your best friend? My husband, Thomas, is definitely my best friend. Like we, so we are also high school sweethearts. Nice. We actually met in middle school and we're not really friends until high school. And then we played in the pit orchestra together for a musical that our school was doing. We were doing Footloose. Nice. And what? Uh, yeah. So that's how we connected. He's a percussionist and I, the flute. Yeah. So we've been together since I was 15. Holy and cow. Good, yeah. yeah, good work. And I'm 32 now. That's a long time. That's um, so he's definitely my best friend. But I also have my friend Jessica, who actually I've been thinking about this. We've been friends for, you know, I don't know, 25 years, most right. of our lives. And I don't have a biological sister, but I consider her my sister. Mm. But we, when we were younger, had a fight about like the best friend label because I didn't want to put a label on it but she, it was really important right. to her like that friendships are very like that she's extremely relational mm-hmm. and that's a way in which we complement each other very well and so it when she listens to this she's going to be like oh my gosh I had no idea I was your best friend but really Jessica you should know by now yeah like come on right. it's been over 20 years yeah. like it's pretty clear <laughs> all right so when you were little what did you want to be when you grew up you know, it changed over time. You know, there was a season where I wanted to be a veterinarian. And now I'm like, what was I thinking? I yeah. love animals, but like, I do not like medical stuff. I, I, I don't have the stomach for that. I wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to be an artist. I wanted to be a writer. So it was all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> do you have a collection of something? Yes. So... It's kind of new, but I've been trying to collect more original artwork from what I call ordinary artists. Mm. So just artists, and I I hate using the word ordinary because it's like they're not as special or something, but it's not that at all. It's just, you know, everyday people. And so I have friends who are artists and one friend, Josie Kosnarek, is a a fabulous artist. And so I've bought a couple of pieces of hers. Mm. I have some cross-stitching from another friend that I went to uh, college with and some of my piano students have made me artwork that I really love and I'll hang that up. So just, you know, little things like that. I love, I've been trying to create a collection mm. and in doing that also support artists. Right. Um, but fill my home with things that are meaningful and mm. beautiful from, yeah, just everyday people. That's pretty That's good. Very cool. Man, we're totally with you on there. I mean, the title of the show is No Normal People. Well, yes. Yeah, <laughs> we, so when I found we... out about your show... <laughs> It's so funny because a couple of years ago, I was like, I want to start a podcast. I love podcasts. <laughs> and I kind of was thinking, I was like, I want to just interview everyday artists. And I did a couple interviews. I haven't published them. But mm. then when I got to it and I was like, oh, this is a lot of work. I, it just wasn't the right time. Yeah. So I was like, you know, I kept those interviews. I'm going to put them up somewhere. I just haven't figured out where. There's just two. But I love that idea. That's why when I was messaging with you guys, I was like, oh my goodness, this the whole premise of this show is really near to my heart because I totally agree that 
there are just so many amazing people in this world. And I think sometimes some of the most beautiful things that are created in the world are just by ordinary people who are just living their daily lives. And I think especially as creatives, sometimes we lose sight of the fact that success doesn't have to be something grand or huge or famous. It can be you know, are you creating beauty in your everyday life? Are you finding joy and happiness and spreading that to other people? Are you modeling for others how they can also express themselves? Because I think we're all supposed to. But I'm veering off into the passionate side of things, obviously. So <laughs> Absolutely. I'll, we're oh. not pull there the yet. Back we're, getting, a bit. we're getting teasers now. I'm so excited. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh my gosh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what is a secret talent that you have? I had to think really hard about this one, but actually, I'm super good. At estimating how much food is needed for different events, it's like depending on how many people are going to be there and like what's being served. I worked in food service in college. Right. That's awesome. Yeah. And we did a lot of huge events because, uh, so I went to Moody Bible Institute in Chicago and the food service department there like also does a lot of catering because mm-hmm. Moody has a lot of events. And so we were planning meals. We were doing, I wasn't planning meals, but we were creating meals for like a thousand people three times a day. And you just kind of get a feel for like, how much do people eat? Like right. I was, I was a server. So like I would serve at the lines and I got wow. really good at like knowing what's a decent portion size. Like you don't realize how challenging that can be at first, like giving someone way too much or way too little. Totally. And of course there's so much variety depending on like how much people want to eat, but you kind of have to try to find that sweet spot. And so that actually has become a very useful skill. Right. <laughs> Especially as a mom. Like, I, I don't know. I, it's really helped me knowing how to like plan meals and stuff. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah. You're like the opposite of what Sarah Legacy said. She can find the perfect <laughs> container, oh, the container for containers. leftovers. <laughs> yes. I love that because that's also really challenging. <laughs> yeah. I've literally watched her do it and it's like every time it's, it's perfect. perfect every time every single That's time it's amazing. perfect it's like you're a wizard it's like a sixth sense <laughs> yeah. yeah it's like i love it. this is the weirdest thing to be good at but it's also so impressive <laughs> and practical like you know people forget those little every like those little mundane things that we do all day long mm-hmm. how much of a difference it makes if like you can be effective at it right you know yeah, yeah totally exactly. totally uh what is a favorite sport or physical activity Okay, well, I'm not much of a sports ball person. (laughs) (laughs) That part of my brain is just missing (laughs) in spite of my greatest efforts. I mean, I've really tried, but I am very active. I love walking. I love hiking. I love biking. We have a couple of um, exercise machines here at the house that we bought during covid uh, so like, you know, I'll do the stationary bike. We have a rower. Mm. But yeah, I think my very, very favorite is walking or hiking. Mm. Steven loves the rower. The rower is my favorite. My goodness. If you, oh my gosh. you could just get on there and blast for 10 minutes and. Yes. <laughs> okay. I have a question for you though. Yeah. So I, when I started rowing, I discovered when I would row, all of this anger comes out of me. <laughs> yes. It's like anger that I didn't know was there. Totally. It's addictive because it's just like. All of a sudden, there must just be something about like upper body. It just seeps through your pores, like, right? You're just like, yeah, Duh! it feels amazing. So I, I like crank on like the angriest music. Like I'll just find some really good Muse songs or something and just mm. be like, just go for it. There you go. And it just feels amazing. Yeah, you wonder why the Vikings were so angry people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
It's because they're pulling their like boats all across the Atlantic. Yeah, t- no, totally it does. <laughs> I genuinely don't understand this phenomenon it's, you're talking about. But it's specifically, <laughs> it's specifically with the rower, though, because there's so yes! many muscles engaged. Like, stationary bike, I love the stationary bike, too. It, it's a very good workout. You get off, and, like, if you do it right, your legs are a little jello, and that I love that feeling. <laughs> But man, the rower like engages so many different joints and different muscles and stuff like your whole body gets into yeah. it. I think just for me, like yeah. if I'm I'm angry all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so like yes. okay, having Bruce an outlet Banner. for my Jeez. angriness is like I, yeah. that's like breathing yeah, for me. Fair. So <laughs> but maybe this would be yeah. good for you. Maybe we'll see. Anyway, yeah, having Ugh. somewhere to send it. Yeah, you know? totally. I send it into the universe. An outlet. You got to plug it in somewhere. <laughs> sure. Yep. <laughs> what is your favorite dine-in restaurant? Um. Okay. So there is this Italian bistro in Chicago that kind of became our go-to, the Osteria Via Stato. And so it has two sides. There's a one side that is like rustic Italian dining Mm -hmm. and the other side is a a pizzeria and it's like flat crust you know like thin crusts like really fancy you know they put like artichokes on the pizza and stuff i need to go to that kind of just oh it's so good it's on state and ohio i haven't been to chicago since we moved four years ago and my brain is deteriorating (laughs) but um (laughs) it's like that part of my brain is leaving me (laughs) but yeah, that just be kind of became like our place to go for special occasions. And the staff there, I mean, I don't know if it's the same staff anymore, but at the time they were just such lovely people, like so welcoming. Mm-hmm. And it just felt like they created an atmosphere that made it really feel like home. Yeah. They were, especially the manager at the time, it was so generous and thoughtful. And like, it was really, yeah, that's yeah. my favorite place. I I'd think, love to go back someday. I think culturally speaking, Italians have the best like hospitality when it comes to food yeah like, and i loved that it was rustic it wasn't like yeah. your typical you know you go and you get like a big thing of roast pork and beans yeah you know you don't think of that with italian food or at least i don't but like yeah so it felt so homey and mm-hmm. i think food you're right food and wine are very much a part of that oh yeah so it's a vibe for sure <laughs> absolutely yeah what is your favorite fast food restaurant chipotle Chipotle. <laughs> Chipotle. I don't go very often because here in Flint, there's only one Chipotle and it's kind of not in an, it's in like the shopping district. I, oh, just, don't, yeah. I just don't go there super often. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's no drive through. So like with my kids, like I don't like to drag everybody, <laughs> everybody out of the get car out of for the a car. burrito. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm the only one in my family that will eat the burrito. So like yeah. <laughs> there's no point. <laughs> This is so if we do fast food as a family, it's like rallies or something, you know, because it's like down the street. Right? Oh, there you go. Nice. Very good. Very good. What is your favorite candy? I like chocolate. Like, does good chocolate count as candy? Yeah, totally. I feel like it's its own food, but yeah, I like dark chocolate, mm. like really dark chocolate. What is your favorite snack? Okay. So <laughs> I have an addiction to cheddar almond nut thins. They they are like they taste like Doritos, but they are not so bad for you. Yeah. And I love them so much. They're <laughs> so good, but they come in these tiny boxes that are four dollars, and then everyone in my family eats them. So when I do like my Walmart pickup order, yeah, I put like six boxes in the cart, and I'm pretty sure the people at Walmart think I'm 
Like you have a crazy, yeah, you have a little <laughs> bit of a really, problem. Because I go like every week, we go through like six boxes a week. It's a little nice. bit ridiculous. Nice. But uh, we don't eat other snacks. Like we right. eat popcorn, but you know, that's it. Like we don't eat like chips or anything. So, mm-hmm. all right. What is your favorite TV show of all time? And that's a lot of pressure, but my favorite, is, right? if I had to choose, it would be the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Oh, that's a good one. We haven't gotten that, is that the one. first time answer, but oh my gosh. Oh, yes. I love, I love Tina Fey. Like, yeah. so 30 rock is a close second. <laughs> yeah. And we're watching Mr. Mayor right now. And it's just so oh, her humor. Yes. I totally, it just gets me and it's so rapid. It's mm-hmm. so fast. So like, I've had to like rewatch like some of her shows and I always pick up everything. Like I pick up new things every time, but Kimmy Schmidt is so unique because they were able to take, you know, the situation where Kimmy Schmidt went through like this unbearable trauma and they make it funny. Yeah. Like, yeah. They, right. How do you do that without being completely insensitive, but right. they nail it and they portray traumatic stress in a way that is like so poignant yeah but it also like gives you the freedom to laugh at yourself and i think there's this sense in which like Mm. in order to heal from horrible things you have to learn how to laugh right totally and that doesn't like downplay the horribleness and there's also like lessons i've learned in kimmy schmidt that have helped me personally so it's like this comedy show that's hilarious and ridiculous but like it's so meaningful yeah the scene and the the line that lives in my brain just kind of rent free is uh (laughs) Is when Kimmy, like when know. Tina Fey is her therapist, you know? Yeah, and, her drunk therapist. Yeah, and <laughs> and she shows up at the office. She's like, "Do you know why my my, my knees are bruised?" And then there, she just like looks up into the corner, and there's a flashback, and it's Kimmy like, "Hey, I really think you should go to bed." And then then Tina Fey just like sprint crawls across the room and goes, "No, baby, no, go night night." <laughs> so good oh my god i i think of that every day every day i think about that i'm dying Uh, (laughs) baby no go night night baby no go night night (laughs) oh my god it's very good it's very good all right while dixie recovers i'll take over for one what is your favorite morning drink i have lately been on a matcha latte kick very nice. Uh, mm. Yeah. I like to make it with soy milk because like, well, let's be real. Vanilla soy milk is just really sweet. and It tastes good. But I like it's an easy way to like make the matcha, like to sweeten the matcha without it. Yeah. Because you know, matcha by itself can be like real something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's just like a lawnmower. Like, in do a you cup. like dirt? Here is. Here's I, I some do, tea. Actually, actually, that's a great idea. A, a dirt latte. Yeah, for there the morning. you go. It's plentiful. It'd be a lot cheaper than matcha. That's for sure. I'm into it. Matcha latte is excellent. Are you good? Do you want to ask the next one? I'm like dying. I know you are. You keep leaning off mic. (laughs) Tiffany, what was your first job? Okay. So technically it was babysitter, but like beyond babysitting, I taught flute lessons when I was in high, like when I was in high school to younger students, I kind of started my teaching business then. Whoa. It was great. I loved it. And that's actually like what I wanted, decided I wanted to go into was teaching music, uh, private lessons. But yeah, it was a great it was a great job because it was very flexible and paid well, you know, compared to regular job. Nice. I got to hang out with my peers. Mm, that's good. Very cool. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? Teleportation. 
What would you say is your proudest accomplishment? Okay, so I've thought about this question. And I feel like the obvious answer should be my children, but I don't think of them as an accomplishment. Mm -hmm. Because it's like, I'm more of like a steward of their lives. It's not something Mm. that I accomplished. Right. But my greatest accomplishment so far, in 2019, I did a songwriting project. And that, to me, felt like a a, a Mm -hmm. huge accomplishment. Totally. Because it just meant a lot to me. And we can talk more about that, you know, in the next section. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Just create like dedicating the time to create those songs, putting myself out there because it was very, it was a very vulnerable experience Mm -hmm. and Mm. it was very transformative and it changed my life. So. All right. Finally, here's the last one. What is a smell that takes you back to a good memory of your childhood? Okay. Yeah. The smell of rain in the spring. Mm. I love that smell. It kind of smells like worms a little bit, (laughs) but it it, to me always kind of takes me back to this feeling of like, oh man, winter is coming to an end. Like since, since my earliest memories, like winter's coming to an end, spring is coming. I'm going to be able to play outside because I loved to play outside as a child. That that's where like most of my favorite memories are just in our backyard. So that anticipation of spring, I think takes me back every year, especially because I've lived most of my life. Well, I've lived all of my life in the Midwest near the Great Lakes. So it's always kind of smelled the same. I mean, except in Chicago, it smells more like thawing trash. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. It's my okay. favorite smell. Like grill, grilled food and sewage is mm. that is actually kind of nostalgic. Wow. I really I, I, I want to go to yeah. Chicago now. That's, that's, a, that's one of those charismatic city smells. Oh, and <laughs> something a lot of people don't know about Chicago is but like so downtown it smells like brownies. Cuz they're what? I've never been to the factory. I don't know where it is. But there is some kind of like brownie factory or chocolate factory in, in the downtown area. So when it starts to warm up you smell chocolate in the city. Mm. I'm, it's not amazing. A I'm sorry. What? I bet. I yeah. bet Emily knows where that is. I will have yes. to ask her. I need to and go totally. to there immediately. Yes. Now the uh, the off side of that is Chicago is full of dogwood trees, which are suffocating in the spring. So like mm. dogwood and brownie, like it's just a there's a whole <laughs> milieu of things. <laughs> Absolutely. An amalgamation of just yeah. garbage. Totally. Yeah. I'm not hating on Chicago. I, it's my. Uh, it's my home it was my home for a long time so Mm, but it has some smells and that's fine but every every city city. who who doesn't have smells right yeah this is true (laughs) oh my gosh tiffany thorpe thank you so much for coming on our podcast this was one of those where i was like i've been following you because we connected over ravel a while ago and I eventually yes. was, I eventually just had to tweet at you and be like, oh my gosh, come on my other podcast, please. Cause your life seems awesome. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. I'm so glad you asked because, you know, I've really enjoyed your, uh, I really, I've really enjoyed Ravel and now I'm enjoying No People. And I just, I love stuff like this. So I was so thrilled that you asked and really honored. We're it, very excited for yeah. it. Would you tell us a little bit about uh, where you grew up and what your family was like growing up? Yes. So I grew up just outside of Flint, Michigan, and I was the middle child of three. So I have an older brother, a younger brother. And, you know, we fought a lot as kids, but we were tight now. Like we're, we're good friends now and have each other's backs. And so that's been like a really sweet relationship to have with both of my brothers. But being the only girl, I I think that had some really interesting things about it 
And I kind of lived, I feel like as far as I remember, I kind of lived in my own little world. Mm -hmm. I was very imaginative, very creative. And as a real small child, I think I was really quiet because I just remember people often saying, you know, she's not shy. She's just quiet. But I don't remember that. Like I just, I remember living in my head a lot, like having a lot of thoughts about things even early on. Mm, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know how far you want me to go into this one because there's other questions, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that, I mean, that's kind of like where I'm from. I went to public school, um, same yeah. school district, K through 12, and loved elementary school. It got a little harder when I got older because I was quite a misfit. So I was thinking this morning about how to like explain that. And I think the best analogy, um, have you seen the movie Unicorn Store? No, 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 I have not. <laughs> I didn't know. You'll have to go watch it this. Existed. It's like my life. It's like my life story. I forget the actress's name. She's famous, but I forget her name. I'm not good with remembering that stuff. I guess the best way to describe like how I was as an adolescent was like, imagine you're in school and a Pegasus walks into the room <laughs> and just takes a seat at a desk <laughs> and tries to blend in and look like like look like all the other kids, but there's a Pegasus right there. Right. That's kind of how I felt. I felt like that Pegasus, like, you know, like everywhere I went, I was just like, you know, a little bit out of place. Hmm. And that of course attracts different kinds of attention, mostly a lot of bullying. So I think that was pretty formative. Like having this experience of feeling like, oh, I'm different from these other people and I'm being bullied, but I also just want to be who I am. Right. Mm-hmm. So K through 12, same school district, like you're growing up with the same people pretty much all the way through. When did you find that you may have found like your people? Did you ever have a moment where they're like, where you realized, oh, maybe there's a few other Pegasus in in the high school or Pegasus. You know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. So like, <clears throat> you know, in Mean Girls, how they have all the different tables of all the different crowds. Oh, yeah. I kind of spent my time with three crowds, the nerds, mm-hmm. the band geeks, yeah. and the theater nerds. Wow. Um, those, you just described a- both Dixie and me. Whoa. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> Surprise, because we're the best people. R- right. What a Venn diagram there that is. So much hormones. It is, truly is. There's so much like crossover between those three oh, groups. Yeah. yeah. So that's kind of like, you know, I was very much, uh, I think, primarily a band geek. Mm-hmm. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. Tiffany, after high school, you, you I think you've already told me, but did you go to college? If so, where did you go and what did you study? I went to Moody Bible Institute in Chicago and I studied music. So at the time, it was a sacred music degree program. Mm-hmm. That actually like they changed the title while I was there <laughs> to just be music. And so oh. I just have a, a Bachelor of Arts. In music and it was vocal performance essentially but really it was kind of this hybrid between like church music and vocal performance and then everyone at moody gets a bible minor mm. um ah, it's not on okay. the degree but you have the equivalent of a bible minor sure what a curriculum yeah i'm into that <laughs> it's pretty neat. it is it's really it's really diverse like it's there's a lot of variety in all of that and mm-hmm. i mean definitely i've had to fill in like whatever deficiencies I experienced, like, because of the the variety. Mm, but mm-hmm. I, I really think you're going to run into that no matter what you study. Right. right. You know, and where you study it. Yeah. I'm curious. Um, 
so I don't know anything about this college that you went to, but we have a couple in Billings area, couple Bible colleges, um, and they tend to be like specific denominations. So was this college like an eclectic blend, like multiple denominations, or was it like specifically like Baptist or anything like that? So Moody is technically non-denominational, mm-hmm. but it's aligns basically with like Baptist theology. Okay. So, I mean, they have a storefront for, for Lifeway books, which is SBC, <laughs> yeah. even though Moody is not SBC, <laughs> right. but they have a storefront, you know, in downtown Chicago. Mm-hmm. And we got people from a lot of different denominations. So there were, I would say mostly just like non-denominational evangelicals, right? but then a lot of Baptists, some Presbyterians, even, you know, some people from like charismatic backgrounds. Right. Yeah. But like, if you read their doctrinal statement, it's pretty, what I consider conservative, um, reformed sort of world. Although people in the fundamentalist world look at Moody as if it's lib- like Way kind of liberal. Too liberal. <laughs> yeah. Which is hilarious. That's to me. It's hilarious. funny. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Yeah. Well, the funny thing was, is I never thought of Moody as like a fundamentalist place until I went out once um, after graduation, I went out for drinks with some music colleagues and the conductor asked me, he was like, what's it like, you know, being at a fundamentalist school? And I was like, what? what? <laughs> Who are you calling fundamentalist? I'm sorry? Like, that was the first time. Whoa. Yeah, that was the first time that like I had been introduced to the fact that that's how the world saw our community. Wow. Right? And now, I, now it makes sense to me. Like, even if you read about Moody in the in the news headlines, there's, you know, you'll see that it's called a fundamentalist Christian school, and you're like, oh, oh, whoa, right. whoops, I had no idea. <laughs> Too close I mean, to I didn't it at the grow time. Up, I grew up in the Assemblies of God. I grew up in more like the Pentecostal right. world, so mm-hmm. I didn't really know a whole lot about like Baptist denominations until I got a little bit older. So, right, I see. So. After college, oh my gosh, this is always the question. It's like after college to today, there's so much that could and does happen, Mm -hmm. you know? Yes. I want to frame it first in maybe the relationship with your husband. You you guys were high school sweethearts. Well, so let's start there. Okay. So he's a year older than I am. And so he graduated and went off to Moody you know, of course, before I did. So we were long distance for a year and mm-hmm. I was kind of trying to decide like, okay, where where do I want to go to school? And I did not want to follow my boyfriend to college. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm going to make this decision for myself. So like any responsible 18 year old, I made a <laughs> list of pros and cons and or I wasn't even 18 yet. I was 17 or something and um, listed out all the possible places. And Moody at the time was completely tuition paid. So, Mm. (laughs) and it was in downtown Chicago. Wow. And my boyfriend was there. Yeah. So I was like looking at this list and I was like, okay, I can go to MSU and go into tons of student loan debt because like we didn't have money for MSU. Yeah. Or I could stay and go to U of M Flint and live at home, which I didn't want to do. I wanted to get out on my own or I could try to go to U of M Ann Arbor and still be in debt. Or I can go to Moody and live in a world-class city and be with my boyfriend and not be in debt. Totally. So, yeah, it pretty it stacked up pretty quick <laughs> toward yeah, Moody, didn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah, which I'm so grateful because if I hadn't 
gone to the same college as my husband, like long distance was hard, you know? So like, I I'm grateful because I don't know where I'd be without him. Like he's part of my life. He's part of who I am. Right. You know, we're, we're so inter interconnected. So we got engaged. I want to say, was it the end of my, yeah, it was the end of my freshman year or the middle of my freshman year. I was 19 when we got engaged. Oh, wow. Nice. And hey, so was I. Really? <laughs> yep. Yeah, I proposed no, were, when I was 19. You were 20. Oh, the we, Young Married Club. You. Oh, you know, I was so, 20 by a week when yeah. I proposed. Okay, fair enough. A fresh 20. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, we were, I mean, we were married that summer. So I was 20, he was 21. And it's so funny because like so many people, I mean, our, our families and stuff were on board. They, Our parents were all married at 19, 20. Right. Yeah. You know, so that they married their high school sweet like that's not unusual in our families and so <laughs> like our family. families were yeah. yeah right and around here in Flint like college education was not really a priority mm. for like for previous generations because of the automotive industry and totally. so like right. people got married right after high school it was no big deal <laughs> totally and but you know elsewhere in the world people are like you're 20 and you're getting married you know like it was so weird but I look back and I'm like, I wish we would have gotten married even younger. Why not? Like, mm. it would have been good for us when we got married and moved out on our own. We could, we were able to move off campus. M- Moody has a lot of strict rules about like who can live on and off campus, and we were able to move off campus and have that independence and just like make our life together. And we flourished because of it. And right. so, yeah, we look back and we're like, we should have got married earlier. Why not? You know? Yeah. Dang. It runs in Stevens' family for uh, the men to marry women that really? are older than. Yeah. Older than yep. All of us. His I mom and dad. His mom is older than his dad. I'm older than him, and his brother married a girl that's older than him. <laughs> hey, why not? You know, absolutely. Marry up. When you know, you know you when you meet the person, why not? Yeah. yeah. Totally. Yeah. Totally. So, what was your experience? So, Dixie and I, we were going to college together, just dating, and then we got engaged, and then we got married, and we decided to take a gap year that has now lasted five years <laughs> for um, yeah. real. Yeah. But so what was your experience like of being a newlywed married person and a full-time student? You know, it was actually really good. I know that's maybe not the case for everyone, but we had a lot of like things were set up really well Mm -hmm. for us. I can only see as like Providence because of course living in Chicago is really expensive Mm -hmm. and just like five blocks north of Moody at the time there was section eight housing that was a really great place to live for like students and stuff. So we applied there and didn't know if we would get in until just like three weeks before our wedding. So we didn't even know where we were going to live Whoa! until three weeks before. Yeah. Cause they, they just, the way that that section eight housing worked, it was just super like last minute and we got in and we also both worked on campus. So like we lived five blocks from campus in affordable housing, affordable for Chicago mm-hmm. And we both worked in food service. We both worked in the kitchen. So we could eat for free at school because we worked there. Nice. And well done. Yeah. So it was actually just like a really good season where I feel like we were able to ease into adult life as a married couple. Um, And, you know, of course, being in school, there's a lot of pressure there, but I'm, I'm really good at school. So... And I don't mean like I'm so smart or anything. It's just that I'm really good at like getting assignments done. Right. It's not a problem yeah. for me. So I was able to manage my my personal school load pretty well. And I feel like Thomas mm. was as well. 
Um, so yeah, we had a good experience. That's so good. After college, after what, three years of marriage as well, how do y'all get back to Flint? Oh, okay. So we actually stayed in Chicago for 10 years. Whoa. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. So we didn't move back here until 2017. Wow. So we were in Chicago for all of our 20s. Um, So when we were done at Moody, I actually stayed an employee at Moody until we left Chicago. Mm. I was working there at some in some fashion. Nice. All right. uh, That whole time. So it was really my home in a lot of ways. But we left that uh, apartment that we were in after we graduated and moved a little bit further west into like uh, the west town area of the city. And over the years, had several different apartments in that part of town and just created a life there. And there's a lot that goes into that. So I don't know if you have any specific questions that you'd like me to talk about, like as far as that period of life, because I don't know what what would you consider the highlights of like making a life in this part of the city before you come back to Flint? Okay, so there were a few different threads going on. There was my music. There was our church life which is just a heartbreaking story. And then there was like my husband's career of, he was working on starting a brewery in the city. So we kind of had these three different things happening and also just trying to figure out life after college. Like that was hard for me, like learning how to not live by a syllabus. So I was spending all this time pursuing my singing, taking all sorts of auditions and just not really having success except for in the choir world. Mm Mm-hmm. So I sang for various choirs. I got paid to sing for one of them, which was great. But otherwise, like I wasn't getting into any musicals or operas or anything. And it was just really discouraging and frustrating. And mm-hmm. But at the same time, I was teaching at tons of schools all over the city um, as like a contractor teaching music lessons. And so that was really, I really loved that. It was fun, but it was a lot of work. <laughs> but I was kind of in this space where like, I didn't know what I wanted to do performance wise. Like I wanted that to be part of things. I didn't know really what to do. And then at the same time, things with our church were going on. So we were at this church plant and um, I kind of got involved with the music there, but it ended up going very badly. And that's actually where, when we moved back to Flint, I was able to kind of start working through that. And that's where the songwriting came out of. Oh, interesting. Okay. We're going to take a quick break and be right back to our conversation. This episode of No Normal People is brought to you by the No Normal People Coffee Blend in partnership with Revel Coffee in Billings, Montana. This bright and complex coffee will come fresh roasted to your door for you to enjoy the delicious symphony of citrus, berry, spice, and chocolate notes. Visit nonormalpeople.com slash store to enjoy a cup of coffee as normal as our guests. No Normal People is supported by our generous patrons who joined us at patreon.com slash nopeoplepod. You too can join the Normal People community to gain access to our private Discord, merch store discounts, and monthly bonus episodes. If you like what you're hearing, the best way to tell us about it would be on Apple Podcasts, where you can leave us a five-star rating and a review, which helps others find the show. If you find this podcast valuable, please tell a friend about the show in person with a text or by sharing about the show on social media. You can join us on Instagram and Twitter at NoPeoplePod. And be sure to visit us at NoNormalPeople.com where you can sign up for our email newsletter called The Three Thought Thing. 
so your singing is going on. Meanwhile, Thomas is working on a brewery. Mm-hmm. And then the church story is like layered on top of that. How did you get hooked up with the church plant? Okay, so when we graduated, we had been going to the suburbs for church, was which was just like, it didn't make sense. <laughs> Leaving the city's a big deal, okay? Like, <laughs> totally, totally. I don't understand so, this. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't even own our own car. So we would be like taking the train out there. It was just like, you know, it was a big deal. So mm-hmm. we were like, let's figure out a church in the city. And we wanted to really like just pour our lives into a church community. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we went to school to do ministry. So we found an X29 church plant that was in the neighborhood where we were moving into. And they were pretty new at the time. They were only open for like four months and we started going Nice to me. Like we got there and something felt off to me. My intuition was like, this is not good. Hmm. And I didn't know what it was. Like I just didn't, I hadn't really learned to listen to those inklings yet, you know, or to trust those feelings. Sure. And we were all in. I mean, we lived in the same neighborhood as the church and like the other people there and gave a lot of our time and our energy. And it was kind of like we committed to this community as our family. Mm. And we, I think we're not quite experienced enough to be able to see that the relationships in the community, a lot of them were very dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. So I particularly had a difficult time with a couple of the people involved in the mu- music ministry who like were like, let me take you under my wing and mentor you and shepherd you. And then they ended up just like betraying me. And it was, it was awful. And after that, like, I just couldn't, I felt like I couldn't sing anymore. I felt like mm. I couldn't make music anymore. I was wow. just, just really heartbroken. I think because... I had made myself vulnerable in a way that um, was not easy for me to do, mm-hmm. especially at that season of my life. Mm-hmm. And when that isn't understood or valued or like protected, I think it's really hard to come back from. And we were part of that church for six years, which felt like a really long time. But then we eventually left there and found a different church community that was like a really good healing place. But during that time, we were there for about a year and we're like, you know what? I think it's time to move away from Chicago. We had had our second child Mm -hmm. um, and he was just a baby. And we're like, man, life here with kids is really hard. You know, we didn't have a car. Getting a car doesn't really solve a whole lot of problems. It just adds a lot of other problems in Chicago. Yeah, I believe it. (laughs) We're like, We're like, we need, I think we need a fresh start. And so we came back to Flint and found a home actually in the city of Flint. It's been a really good place for us. We've, it's been a very healing place. It's been a really safe space for us to be able to kind of recuperate from the stress that we experienced in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And that I think allowed me the space to be able to process through the church stuff and be like, okay, I want to reclaim my voice. I want to be able to tell my story in a way that helps me to move through it Mm. because there was such a strong sense for me 
with the church plant stuff that like, I couldn't talk about it. Mm -hmm. I couldn't speak out about it. And when I did like within that community, when I did try to talk about it, I wasn't believed. I was just, I was dismissed. I was devalued. And, you know, with Acts 29, there are are all sorts of problems, especially when it comes to like misogyny Mm. and that trickles down into, I, to be honest, I have not met a single X29 church that is not dysfunctional. I can't, I mean, I cannot say that about all of them. And I've heard of some that are not, but mm-hmm. I've just seen so much of it and ta- like other people I've met from other X29 churches. It's remarkable to me to see like how much that leadership culture trickles down into the local church bodies. So I think the fact that I was a woman kind of just automatically you know, made my experience invisible or devalued. Mm -hmm. And that was really hard to come back from. And I've realized, you know, in the process of creating music out of that painful experience, I've realized that so much about self-expression is connected to like our physical voices. And so working through that and like kind of just like pushing through it has been amazing. It's been so healing and so freeing and it's brought me so much joy and life that I'm just now kind of in the place where like I have the words to describe it, you know? Yeah. You, you have me thinking because it's, it's a common expression to say like, I didn't feel like I could say anything or I, I lost my voice. And a lot of the times I think that phrase is used in a symbolic way, like I just didn't have the space to express myself is more what people are saying, but what a perfect thing that you were a singer, right? And experience that actual <laughs> loss of your voice and mm-hmm. then like experience the like empowerment from picking it back up again and finally feeling like you can quite literally vocalize again. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. The realizing, yes, you just articulated it so well because there is that figurative side of it where you're right, people speak about the voice as Mm self-expression, which we all have. You know, I think it's a very, very, very important part of human nature to be able to express ourselves in some way. And I think that's tied into the Imago Dei. But yes, there's also that physical component. And it's been fascinating as I've connected with other singers over this topic, because I've discovered that it's a very common experience among singers Mm -hmm. to like, after experiencing something painful or heartbreaking or traumatic, they just can't sing anymore. Like they they can't bring themselves to sing because there's so much pain involved in that. And right. there were even like, I'm still actually working through some technical things vocally that uh, my body just responds in a way to protect me. Like, especially with high notes for some reason, I've had to work at like, kind of allowing my body to realize like it's safe. Like you can take up this acoustic space. It's okay Mm -hmm. to be able to just create these sounds. And also like the, the practice of learning music is very interpersonal. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. studying, I have a teacher I study with on uh, FaceTime and even entering into that relationship has been its own process of like having to establish trust. You know, I was betrayed. So my experience in the church is related to betrayal. It's interpersonal. Mm. So just the amount of time and risk and intentionality it takes to be able to create that safe space, to be able to make those vulnerable sounds for a teacher. Mm-hmm. And you, of course, have to find the right teacher too, right? Wow. Yeah. And she has been. It's been kind of remarkable, like what a good fit she is. So this whole process, like it's 
I say it's so healing, but it don't, you know, I, I would also have to say it's very challenging, mm. but I think if we want to heal from things like that, we have to be willing when we're able and ready, you know, to step into those challenges a little bit at a time, you know, increasing our window of tolerance and like right. saying, okay, I'm ready for this risk now. And my very first lesson with this teacher in January, 2020, I just like broke down into tears. And that for me was so embarrassing. Like we, we were just singing and I just started crying. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> I never met this lady before in my life. And I don't know her. Like, I don't know what she's going to think about me. Like, you know, this crazy lady. And she responded so well. And um, I think that was a good indicator. Like, okay, I can come back. I I was so nervous to go back because I didn't want it to keep happening. But in my mm -hmm. own practice for quite some time, there was a lot of tears that came out. Mm. But in allowing myself to continue compassionately going through that, it's grown into something where I'm starting to see the other side of it. And that has felt incredible. Well, right? totally, man. I have so many thoughts in my head right now. I'm thinking about a podcast I just heard from Emily P. Freeman. Her podcast is the next right thing. And she was just talking about spiritual direction and like at the basis, like simplest terms, a spiritual director is someone who is willing to, like sit next to you and listen to God or attempt to listen to God with you. Like they're just trying to hear the same voice and maybe we miss something mm -hmm. that tr God is trying to give us. And our spiritual, spiritual director is just there to say like, Hey, did you notice, or maybe this is a blind spot and maybe we can point this to you. And man, I can't get past the fact, like I've, I've had amazing voice teachers and drum teachers over my life that almost filled that space as well. Because I've had that experience of crying when I go to sing and I have no idea why. And it just feels like it, it like some part of that physicality of it unlocks. And I mean, I, I loved what you said, too, of like taking incremental steps toward like taking a bigger and bigger risk or embodying the space that someone is allowing you to take. You know, I almost think of it as because you're a you are mezzo soprano is that true yes so, and actually that was part that was part of the process was i used to be a soprano right yeah so what what i'm imagining though is like a good teacher will know when it's time to start pushing tiffany to start singing that e natural instead of the e flat like you used to say yeah. e flat was the top of your range but i bet we can get to the next step you mm -hmm. know yes oh there, there's so many it's like I don't understand how some of the theologies we grow up with ever divorce the body so much from the spiritual side because you're describing like taking back your voice in a spiritual sense. Yes. And also you're just describing a really good voice lesson. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. that's amazing to me. Absolutely. I love that you're making that connection because yes, for me, it is so connected. The spiritual component and the musical component, like to me, they're intertwined and I have experienced that with this teacher. Like, I think she's really one of the first teachers I've ever had that has been like, okay, what do you want to work on today? Mm -hmm. Whoa. Asking you to take the direction. Yes. You tell us where we're going. Ooh. Yeah. It's like, I'm the mass. I'm the one who knows my voice best. Right. So when we started, I came to her as a soprano and I was like, I can't sing my high notes. My high notes are just like, feeling terrible. Mm -hmm. I don't know what to do about it. And for me, there was just so much shame connected to it because I felt like 
you know, what I mean, what I know about vocal pedagogy, I'm like, I feel like a mezzo soprano, but everybody that hears me says, no, you're a soprano. You mm-hmm. should have a high, like a high C that's Whoa. reliable in your back pocket at any moment in any context. And I just did not like, I have a high C, but as a mezzo soprano, the context is incredibly important. So mm-hmm. if it's just a sustained high C out of nowhere, I'm not going to sing that for you. It's not going to sound good. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you give me a piece that has a scale running up to the C and coming back down, I can sing that no problem. Mm. So the context is so important. So she, this teacher has really helped me um if she ever listens to this, she's going to be so embarrassed because she's such a humble person. <laughs> but she has really helped me to be able to feel free to say, yeah, this is my body. This is my voice. I'm mm-hmm. the only one who knows what it feels like to sing. So, you know, the voice type that we landed on is technically called like a coloratura mezzo soprano or Zwischenfach, uh, which would be, I've just mispronounced that, mm. but just uh, like between fachs, which basically means I'm between mezzo and soprano essentially. Right. Wow. But yeah. I, I need to sit in mezzo because if I say I'm a soprano, people are going to hand me stuff that isn't going to fit right. right. But I could sing most mezzo stuff. So There are people in this world that would say this voice type doesn't exist. You're a lazy soprano (laughs) or you're a soprano with bad technique. And you know what? I only had to just be like, (laughs) (laughs) exactly. And I'm not the only singer who feels at home in this category. Mm -hmm. And I really think that, I mean, this is a side note. I really think that is tied to the gaslighting of women's bodily experiences. Yeah. Because you, who says that to a baritone? Yeah. Like, you're just a lazy lazy tenor. tenor. Like, I'm right? triggered. <laughs> <laughs> right? Come at me, dude. <laughs> yeah. So, mm. like, ever since I've landed in this category, the pieces that I'm singing feel excellent. Wow. And my voice responds to it so well. And, yes, yeah, so all of that feels very, very much connected to, like, the spiritual process of figuring out how do I listen to my own intuition? Because I don't know about you guys, but I have a feeling you'll relate to this. The kind of Christianity that I grew up with said, you don't know anything about yourself. It's mm. you don't, your, your lived experience, your feelings, your perceptions of the world are irrelevant. You need to be listening to the pastor who knows what the Bible says. You need to be listening to these teachers who know what the Bible says. Mm. Like you cannot trust your own heart because your heart is desperately wicked. And also and, you're a woman. So. Don't talk. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very much so. Like, so like coming out of that and like, that was the soup that I grew up in, you know, right. coming out of that and realizing like in order to heal from certain traumatic experiences I've had throughout my life, like in order to heal from that, I had to start listening to my mm. intuition because mm. my intuition was saying to me, this person is not safe for you. Mm-hmm. This person is not trustworthy or these experiences were harmful to you and you need to honor that in order to heal from it. Ignoring it is not going to heal it. Right. So doing that spiritually has also helped me vocally be able to say like, nope, that doesn't feel good. I'm just not going to do that. It's not for me. Yeah, absolutely. I can relate. <laughs> Obviously, I'm not a woman, so I can, I don't even have access to that <laughs> dimension of things. But even the experience of, I think it was less it wasn't that you don't know yourself and that only a pastor or only a teacher or only God himself can teach you what you're like. 
it was a deep and abiding belief that at the core of you, like whatever you think or feel as an intuition is like unholy and degraded, mm-hmm. right? Like very much like you are a, a totally depraved being and you're like yeah. the worst thing before <laughs> God's sight if it's sourced yep. from you, but if it's sourced from God. And they talk about how like you, you ought to be listening to the Holy Spirit and your conscience instead of <laughs> your own feelings or whatever. And yeah. like for me now, it's like, aren't they all the same thing? Isn't that what exactly. is speaking Isn't to me? It's the like point? The, it is the Holy Spirit speaking within me, telling me what is safe yes. for me or what is and confirming to me what is good and pleasing and holy rather than now there's multiple voices inside my head that really think I, <laughs> I really do think that kind of was one of the like instantiating wounds that re- informed me growing my personality into like an Enneagram one shape mm-hmm. where because now I have I have I feel like I have the the healthy intuition voice that speaks to me very gently and speaks through my body. Mm-hmm. Like I have a running uh, tweet thread that just documents every time I cry because I really have found that the most holy moments I have in my life are like come when my tear ducts really start working. So, yes, but like, so it, that voice comes through my body, but then I have this like really ugly, really like, like the demon on my shoulder kind of vibe that is constantly telling me where I'm going wrong and what I'm doing incorrectly and how I'm not loving the people I love best. Mm -hmm. Now I have, I still have these warring voices, but I've learned to actually kind of reject the side that it was almost like I was being taught to confirm that the negative voice is my true self and that only God could like raise you into positivity or raise you into holiness. Whereas now it's like, no, I'm going to I'm going to listen to the voice that really does feel like it's coming from within me, but also from without me. I don't know. It's a it's a very squishy territory, but I I can totally relate to what you're feeling. Um, do you think well, let me ask you this way. In the same way that the rowing machine unlocks anger for you, what emotion does singing unlock in you? I love that question. Oh my goodness. I think it has been a lot of sadness, but I think that's changing. Mm -hmm. So you know how when you feel like you're going to cry, your throat gets tight. Mm -hmm. Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. So I think there is a, I believe that our bodies hold on to experiences in certain ways. I don't fully understand it. And I don't know that there's a whole lot of, I know there is some science behind it, but I I haven't read a whole lot of the literature except for Bessel van der Kolk's The Body Keeps the Score, um, which is a fantastic book. If you haven't read it, uh, it's so good. But I've experienced, yeah, like I think our bodies hold on to pain in certain ways when they have, when it hasn't been processed, when we haven't been able to process through it, Hmm. you know, it just holds it. Yeah. And the singing for me, I think has been releasing a lot of the sadness in the same way that the rowing has released a lot of anger that I'm still trying to figure out. But the sadness piece is interesting because in my own songwriting, there's so much sadness. There's a lot of anger and grief and rage and other things too, but I would Mm. say sadness is probably the dominant feature so far. Mm -hmm. And I am looking uh, forward excitedly to the, I know that that's evolving. Mm -hmm. And so I have a couple of thoughts about that. So the one is I'm writing a song right now that is like the first step of that evolution out of sadness into kind of like the satisfaction of healing 
like the feeling of actually finally starting to experiencing he- experience healing in some ways mm. that are new and feel really good. Because I think a lot of us who have gone through a lot of emotional pain, it's easy to stick with the familiar. So it mm-hmm. can feel scary to leave the sadness. But actually my voice teacher, I don't know how conscious she is of this, but she's pointed out a couple of times because I've brought some of my own songs to her just for like, an outside music perspective. Mm. And there's been a few times where she's like, the way you're singing that sounds sad and not empowered. And Mm -hmm. she's pointed out more like an observation, like, is that what you're going for? And my response is no, like that's not, that's not what I'm going for in this moment. And so it's been really cool to have somebody be able to point that out to me and be like, yeah, kind of like your default is sad and starting to be conscious of like, Oh, I think sometimes I express myself that way musically, but in other ways as well, because it's the safe one. Mm. As a woman, it's okay to be teary-eyed. It's not okay to be pissed. <laughs> so sorry. Like, it's not <laughs> like, right. It's, no, I'm always <laughs> pissed. Yeah. <laughs> Dixie lives in that space. Yeah. I, I mean, honestly, like there was a long time where my husband was like, Why are you so angry? And I'm like, What are you talking about? I'm not angry. <laughs> but like I so I was like disconnected. This is why I've kind of realized I'm not an Enneagram eight. But I was so disconnected from that ever present anger. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was expressing it, but I didn't know that I was angry. Right. Because when I did express it, it would come out as sadness. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm trying to allow myself the freedom to kind of expose who I really am. And that's not I'm not actually just like a sad little clown. Right. <laughs> It's just that that was the safest, least threatening way to present myself to the world. Yeah. In fact, hmm. I'm, I have a, I have quite a lot of grit. And, and in some ways, I've been a little bit afraid of that grit because when I do unleash it, it's intense. Right. Um, totally. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I love that question that you asked because I'm not sure most people would even think about that. So I'm, and I'm working on bringing more. I'm working on bringing joy into it. Like the whole spectrum the feelings. Yeah, the whole spectrum, but also like I hear sadness and joy and I don't necessarily think they're polar opposites or that you can't experience uh-huh. both at the same time. You mm-hmm. know, like sad and yes. happy maybe, but joy is so messy and so fluid and joy can experience joy can be in sadness and joy can also be- just be in like the most happy of mm-hmm. experiences as well. So Yes, and in fact, mm. there are times where in the process of healing, I've experienced such immense joy that it almost like rakes up sadness from the bottom of the ocean. It's like, whoa, it's weird how it kind of like pulls that up with it because sometimes it's like, oh my goodness, I have so much joy at this friendship that I'm cultivating. And then this hurt and grief comes up of like, and this is what you were missing. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, totally. It brings that up with it. And it, I don't know that that's good or bad. I think it just kind of is where I'm at right now. Like it just I is. went yeah. to, a, yeah, I, last weekend I attended a virtual workshop on traumatic voice care and at the end, it was such a beautiful wow. workshop. Yeah. And at the end of it, there was like a blessing that everybody kind of said, and I had to stop because it felt like church and it just brought up like the whole, the whole workshop was such an open and accepting and <laughs> welcoming space Yeah, and like being like, you are you are free to make choices for yourself. Like mm-hmm. that was kind of the foundation of the whole thing. And it wasn't even for traumatized singers. It was for vocal pedagogues. Like it was for teachers who work with, but I took it kind of for myself. And, 
<laughs> and at the end, this blessing, I had to stop because I was like, oh my gosh, the pain that it just like, the, the joy of being welcomed and accepted mm. and free to just be whoever I am mm-hmm. was met with also this feeling of like, oh, this is what the church should have been for you, or this is what the church could be, or this is wow. what, wow. this yeah. is what it's missing. And mm-hmm. that feeling of like, of loss, you know? It's it's almost like you're go- undergoing like spiritual surgery and it's like, yeah. like surgery Jeez. is extremely traumatic, right? And we're going to work on those incisions and like rip your body apart for a second. But in the end, it's all for healing and it's all for maximized health. Mm-hmm. But when, yeah. you, when you're under the knife, it does not feel good. It's not good. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Oh man, that's a good analogy. Mm. process and like the way you put together music. I'm curious to hear the ins and outs. Yes. So can I take you on my journey of how I got into songwriting? Absolutely. You can. Because I think it's a good, that's a good segue from what we're talking about into that, into the questions you're asking. Yeah, sure. So I'm a storyteller. I'll try not to be too all over the place, (laughs) but in the thick of the, the hard church stuff in Chicago, my sweet husband was like, I think you should write music about this. And I looked at him and I was like, what? I'm like, I suck at songwriting. What are you talking about? And and we also did not have a lot of money, but he was like, I really want to get you some recording equipment. I really want to get you set up so that you can write your own music. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, why are you Why are you going down this road? But I thought it was really thoughtful of him. And so I was like, okay, mm-hmm. you know, I'll, I'll go for it. I'll go, I'll go with you. So we got all this stuff, you know, starter stuff, like a, a digital piano with all these different sounds and an interface. And he's doing all this research, like figuring out like what would be the best stuff for me. And I'm over here, like I'm a classical singer. I hardly even use a microphone. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's fair. That's just- <laughs> Like I, it was very overwhelming to me and we kind of just had this stuff probably for like two or three years before I really did a whole lot with it. Mm -hmm. And then finally, you know, I'm in therapy over this church stuff, like talking to my therapist, like, I just want to move past this and I feel so stuck. I was like, I, I can't sing. I feel like I don't have any closure over what happened at the church there. And I I just don't know what to do. I don't know how to move past this. I just felt so incredibly stuck. And she was like, (laughs) I only could have heard this from her. She's like, go home and pray about it. And (laughs) for context, she is not that kind of therapist at all. Like I I was a little pissed too. I was like, I don't pray. Do you understand? Right. Right. (laughs) I was like, God ripped my heart out. I don't pray. And, but I was like, but I trusted her. And so I was like, I'm going to do, I'm going to be a good student and I'm going to go home and do what she said. Wow. Yeah. And so I did, I was laying in bed and the church stuff was keeping me up again at night. Just like, I couldn't get all of these thoughts out of my head, feeling just so helpless and powerless. So finally I was like, okay, I'm going to do what 
my therapist said, and so I was just like, God, please show me what, what, what can I do to move past this? Mm. And my counselor had given me a little book that like, I think another therapist had written just about grief. It was like basically this like very small collection of poems that this woman had written to process the grief of her grandfather, who was like very, very, very close to her. Mm-hmm. So I read through that and she kind of like hinted like, you know, I think you should create something. I think you should think about like, what can you create to process through your grief? And I was like, grief, what are you talking about? And the funny thing about this is like, I didn't even recognize it as grief, even though there was a death involved in the whole church situation. Like somebody that I was connected to and all of this died in the middle of it. And that was a very big part of it. But wow. I didn't see that as the main trauma. Yeah. Um, and I didn't even like see, I didn't even see that I had a right to grieve over that person because like, it was just so complicated. And so, yeah, I prayed and I don't even know like why the songwriting, like why I suddenly said yes to it. Mm. I, I really do not remember, but I was like, well, I have all of this equipment. I have all of these things to write music with. Like it can't hurt to just do it. And really I felt like I needed to put my story out into the world publicly, not just for myself. I needed to put it out there because part of the powerlessness I was feeling was that like I had tried so much to resolve these issues with the people at that church and had just been ignored and kind of stonewalled. Mm, mm-hmm. And I felt like I just wanted to like say, look, I'm here. I exist. Like it felt like I was invisible. I was like, I exist. I want to make you hear my voice. And at the time I was not really in contact with anybody except for a couple of close friends from that community. I'd really kind of cut off ties when we moved. So I was putting it out there, not so much to like specifically get their attention, mm-hmm. but more to just like, prove to myself that I existed. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, how, how how, I say how sad, not in a pathetic way, but like, that's heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I stopped at Walgreens and bought a notebook and I just started writing. And the first song just like came out of me super easy. I wrote, so the courage, the one that I sent you. Yeah. Yeah. Was my first song. And the recording I sent you is I redid it because, um, Look, I was learning how to record in the process and I'm still learning totally. Um yep. all of the recording stuff. But that song came together in two weeks from the time I set the pen to paper to the time I hit publish on SoundCloud Whoa. and like Whoa. shared it on Facebook. Yeah. And then it was just like, oh my gosh, I felt so exhilarated. And I was like, I want to keep doing this. I'm like, I felt so freeing mm-hmm. to just be who I was and just to be honest and like to s- tell my story. You know, I allowed shame to silence me. This like feeling of like, you don't deserve to tell your story because your story doesn't matter. Because I was listening to the voices of the people at the, that church mm-hmm. who were like, what's yeah. wrong with you? You're the problem. Right. We don't see a problem. Wow. Yeah. You told me I'm broken, that I am unstable. You said I have nothing to bring to the table. You worked for trust and you cut me off you questioned my faith to keep me in place you chose to ignore me you tried to control me but i've nothing to lose because it's already lost so I was like, I'm going to write a song every month. And so I just kept writing every month. I put a song out there and it was just really 
kind of simple. Like it wasn't, you know, I was writing about stuff on Instagram as I shared. And I didn't even know that the exvangelical community existed. I didn't even know people were having these conversations about like spiritual abuse and deconstruction. Like I was just writing what was in me. Sure, totally. And I kind of felt at that point, like I was like, I have nothing to lose. Like I'm not doing anything musically anyway. Because part of the other piece was like, I was a little nervous that like someone in the classical music world would see what I'm doing and be like, well, that's stupid. And then not Mm want to hire me. Mm. You know, that was kind of like a hang up. Right. And I kind of just broke through that. I'm like, I'm just going to be who I am and put myself out there and people can take it or leave it. A lot of people left it. You know, there were a lot of people who... Because you're done, you're done letting other people's thoughts be the ones yeah. that like tell you how to be. Like that's yeah. that's a theme in your story for sure. So why not yes. let that be true of the music as you take back your voice? Oh, so good. Yeah. So good. Yeah. It really, really changed my life for the better. Like, and like I said before, it was hard. Like it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy to see that all of these people from my old church just stopped following me on social media. Mm-hmm. It wasn't easy to see that they just ignored me. Like not a single person from that community reached out to me to say like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry this happened. And I didn't name names. I didn't name the church community, but like people that knew me at that time, it wasn't hard to figure out what I was talking about. What I didn't realize was that the time I was writing all this music, that church was going through all of these things with other people who had similar stories to me. Whoa. And they ended up hiring like a third party investigator and stuff, like trying to like figure it out. Whoa. They, that, (laughs) I think I was patient zero. They only contacted me because a friend of mine suggested that they did. And even that stung because it was like, I am so invisible to you that you don't even know that I'm one of the people, even though I've not, I've not sat back quietly. I've like tried to address this problem. I took one of my closest friends saying to them, like, you should interview Tiffany. Wow. Anyway, I had no idea that was all going on. And the church actually ended up closing, not because of me. I mean, I don't know if my story had something to do with it, but because there were so many stories like mine. Jeez. Yeah. You know, 10 years after the church was planted, it took 10 years, you know, where if they would have listened to me like (laughs) seven years ago, like a lot of pain could have been avoided. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway, the songwriting. I kind of did that in 2019 and at the same time got back into classical singing and suddenly panicked. I was like, oh my gosh, I put so much of myself into the world. And so I kind of like pulled back for a while. Hmm. I deleted a lot of my Instagram posts and was not sharing as much of what I was writing. And then COVID hit and I was like kind of forced to slow down and kind of contemplate what was next for me musically. Right. I had to admit to myself, like, I love songwriting. I I was like, I I need to keep going. I think I needed a time of rest because putting yourself out there in that way, like, yes, musically taking those risks of like putting your own music into the world, but also I was writing about some stuff that was really personal. Right. Yeah. And so I need, I had needed that time to kind of like pause and reevaluate and then say like, okay, I'm ready to continue on this journey. And be willing to look at like, what is it going to evolve into? So that's kind of where I've been. And I'm entering into a spot where I'm starting to get clarity on that. Like I'm realizing I've I've had to be okay saying, yes, this is who I am. I've had to be okay saying the songs that I write aren't feel good songs, at least not at this time, maybe someday, Mm -hmm. but I'm going to write what feels honest to me. And what I feel most passionate about. And I'm 
putting a lot of pain into these songs for myself, but also because I know that there are plenty of people, especially dealing with all of the stuff that's happened in American Christianity very recently, there are plenty of people who have also experienced pain in regards to their faith or in regards to who they are. And I want to be brave enough to express my own pain so that other people can take it and do with it whatever they need to do for themselves. Mm, Yeah, totally. That is definitely something I resonated with when you first sent me a link to your song History. Mm -hmm. There is such a, a haunting quality to just the way the song is arranged and like the lyrics paired with your vocal style, like, oh my God, it took me straight to that. Like it, I, I felt it more than I heard it. And I don't know if that's what you were going for or not, but that song in particular, when I first pulled it up on Spotify, I was like, whoa, this, this is deep. I feel the depth of it without having to like, I mean, it was before we got to talk to you on the podcast, literally right now. So like I, I, yeah. I'd heard little bits of your story, like following along on Instagram and reading some of your great captions. But beyond that, man, when I heard the song, I was like, I I am here. I can enter this space. Oh, gosh. Thank you so much for saying that. Because like history, so putting that single out felt and feels so vulnerable to me because I recognize that the style of music that I write is very specific and that's hard because it's not like you know there there are certain kinds of music that just everybody loves and Mm. it's fun to listen to it makes you feel good and you just put it on the background and that's not what i've been creating and it's hard i'm learning to sit comfortably in that feeling of like this is what i need to say and this is what i think the world needs to hear and the reason i chose that song so i wrote that one and that was part of the 2019 project Mm -hmm. and then i re-recorded it this year Mm -hmm. and it just felt to me like when I first wrote it, I felt kind of alone in my observations. Like these are the things I see happening in the church at large around me. And I feel like something needs to be said. Wow. And yeah. then and then 2020 happened and I'm like, oh my goodness, everybody else is seeing it now too. Not everybody, but you know, a lot of people are seeing it now too. And I was like, okay, so maybe, maybe it's time to like give this song a little bit more room to like spread into the world. Yeah. And I love that you used the word haunting because that is the word that everybody uses. And it feels there's something in that description that this might sound backwards, but it brings me a lot of joy yeah. because yeah. it makes me feel like when someone who hears what I'm writing experiences that, they feel what I'm feeling. Love and love is sin. Black is white and white is white. accomplished what you were looking to in like in reclaiming your voice and being able to embody exactly where you're standing 
right? Like you're, you're sharing yes. what all is within you. You're not being asked to sing the worship song that you hardly believe anymore. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. you're, you're singing exactly what came out of you mm-hmm. and it's conveying yes. exactly what you wanted it to convey. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it's funny you mentioned the worship song because when I wrote history, it was actually kind of tongue in cheek, like supposed to be like mimicking a worship song. So like, that's why it's so repetitive and like, that's kind of yeah. why the, the verse, melody chorus, has first chorus, like, bridge chorus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's why the melody has this like kind of sentimental feeling, and like the the way I did the accompaniment accompaniment originally was very much in that vein. But I changed it because I was like, people are not going to understand that that's tongue in cheek. So I was like, yeah. I'm going to change it to reflect the little message a little bit more truly. Yeah, um, but then I fell in love with the melody. I was like, I actually this feels like the melody expresses what I want to say. Yeah. Yeah. So I love that you mentioned the worship song because there is, yeah, there is this feeling of like, okay, here are the words you're supposed to say and what you're supposed to believe. But when, when do we get to express those things that are maybe a little bit more challenging to sit with? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Totally. Tiffany. Hey, I'm conscious of the fact that we're nearing the end of our time here and I still have so many questions here. Songwriting and also just like the spiritual path you've been on. I definitely feel like we've tapped into that, what we would call like what you're passionate about in your life and definitely what you could talk about forever if you wanted to, or if you had the opportunity to, you think that's true? Yes, for sure. These are like the main things for me. Absolutely. So now that we've been here, I want to quickly go through some, some other things just to like round you out and just get a, get a sense for what your life is like. So do you have any hobbies beyond these core passions of yours to talk and write about? So I don't have a lot of time for extra hobbies, but I do a lot of drawing as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And I put that on Instagram as it kind of ties into like the music stuff, but I feel like it gives it a little more lighthearted side of things. Totally. Yeah. And it's definitely a style that sticks out as well. Like in the same way your (laughs) music can stick out in a very like uh, Spotify, like pop music saturated world. Like I feel like your art does the same thing. I love it. Thank you. Do you do anything for work right now in the midst of COVID? I do teach some lessons on Zoom. Sure. So like piano and voice. Besides that though, I I mean, I my kids are small, so I'm a full-time mom. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely you are. Which yeah. I would be terrified to make it sound as if that is like a, a cheapened way to describe work because, oh my gosh, I was a kid once and I know... <laughs> much of a nightmare I could be to my own mother. So, (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Do you like to follow any particular morning or evening routines? Um, Man, in this season of life, I would love to, but it's kind of challenging. Um, Mm -hmm. But one thing that I do love is like taking my walk every morning, you know, so my husband works from home, um, which has been a really great uh, setup so that I'm able to like grab a quick walk right before he starts his work day most yeah, days. Absolutely. That's probably my favorite routine. Do you have any pets in the home? We, yeah, it's kind of a zoo here, <laughs> much to my chagrin. It, we have two cats, Michael and Jane, Jane and Michael Banks. It's really <laughs> their names. That's so good. Yes. Yes. They are. They are brother and sister. We just adopted them in November and they are excellent. They're so good with the kids. It's unbelievable. Like, how good they are with these kids. Um, they let oh. the kids play with them and they like to play with the kids. Before and, um, before you go on, Stephen, do you know the the reference those names are? Oh, I feel like I should. Um, 
Mary Poppins. Of course. Jail. Of course and it Michael is. I like, I like to uh, throw Steven under the bus. I'm when, so bad with when, anything uh, movie or like. <laughs> I, I, could it's you, okay. <laughs> is Mary Poppins pop culture? I mean, I suppose we had the second movie with Lynn Manuel and. Uh, oh, yeah. Good stuff. Emily Blunt. I, but, I would just consider it's a classical, it's yeah. a classic musical, totally. you know. Yeah. But even then, I'm so, I feel like I'm so far out of the loop on most of that. I knew yeah. I'd heard the names before. Yep. But yes. Thanks, Dixie. You're welcome. Thanks for that. That's Love why I'm that. here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, Tiffany, what are you currently reading? I am, <laughs> I don't come up for air very often. I probably should. I'm reading Sacred Wounds by <laughs> Teresa B. And it's amazing. So anyone out there listening who has experienced any kind of spiritual trauma, you need or any kind of trauma, really. Yeah. Like it's an excellent, very practical description of what is trauma, what is post-traumatic stress, and how what are some small steps you can take mm, totally. to move through that. It's beautiful. Absolutely. What are you currently listening to? Let's start with music. So when you pull up your music app, what do you listen to? Okay, so it's a little all over the place these days. I've been listening to kind of like a lot of just uh, singers whose voices I really love. So I've been listening to some Joan Baez Mm -hmm. and Anthony and the Johnsons. My Brightest Diamond is one of my favorites. Um, So yeah, like I said, it's it's kind of all over the place. Excellent. What about podcasts? Yeah. So podcasts, I've been doing, I've been listening a lot to Unlocking Us, Brene Brown's podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, so good. So good. Yes. So good. Yes. And then my my friend Liesl Kniesner just started a podcast called Freelance Minds. And she's interviewing Flint area creatives who are freelancers. And she interviewed me as the first guest and then she just put out her second episode. So I've been listening through that. So good. What are you currently watching? Any streaming shows you're in the middle of? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're watching Ozark right now. Mm. Bonus question right at the end. Do you have a favorite classical composer? Oh, a favorite? Oh, that's hard. I'll go first. Mine, like, <laughs> if you give me anything Brahms, Nerd. I'm so here for it. All four symphonies, <laughs> all his piano. Oh, oh man. I, Brahms is so beautiful. That, yeah. That era. Oh, so good. Yeah. So passionate. Um, Gosh. There, for me, different composers fill different needs. I would, I hate to be so predictable, but I love Mozart. I just yeah. love, I love Mozart. Well, okay. There's a reason. It's so predictable. You know how people always say cliches are cliche for a reason? There's like, yeah. There's a reason Mozart is so well known. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because he's I, so and you good. You know what I think I love? His, I mean, not that I knew him personally, but like I feel like his personality just like shines through in everything he does. Like it's like he never took anything seriously. Yeah. Everything was just a joke all the time. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it <laughs> just and I think maybe it's so different from my personality. So I just love I love singing Mozart. Mozart's hard to sing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I love Mozart. I I love playing Mozart. I love hearing, you know, his compositions. So yeah, I'd have to I'd have to go with that. Well, so we are slightly over time here, so it's time to let you go, Tiffany. Thank you so much for being on No Normal People. It was it was a delight for yeah. us. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was so fun. Would you quickly plug for people where they can find you across the socials or the the music playing services? Yes. Yeah, so um you can find me at the name Aurelia's Voice. Um, and that's on primarily Instagram is where I'm most active. I'm on Twitter 
And as far as finding my music, you'll find my music on Spotify, YouTube, anywhere you can find music. It should be on every platform. I have one single available now, and then I'm releasing an EP on March 28th. So I'll have five more songs arriving into the world then. I'll also be doing a live stream performance of those five songs plus history, plus my song that I'm writing right now. So that live stream will be on Instagram March 27th and then on Facebook on March 28th. So those are just some things um, coming up, you know, for anybody that wants to hear. And the live stream is going to be kind of just creating a space for people grappling with evolving faith and just honoring the need to be able to sit in uncertainty when we are in that space. So good. Mm-hmm. Love it. And all, links to all of that will also be in the show notes if if anyone wasn't following along as tightly as even I was. So <laughs> once again, Tiffany, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Would you read our favorite quote to close us out? Yes. The only normal people you know are the ones you don't know very well. Thank you for joining us. You can follow the Hennings on Instagram and Twitter at Stephen G. Henning and at Dixie Lee Henning. Our theme music is composed and performed by Stephen and Dixie Henning and was recorded, mixed, and mastered by Austin Smith. Our artwork is designed by Dixie Lee Henning. Find more of her work at DixieLeeDraws.com, at DixieLeeDraws on both Instagram and TikTok, and at DrawsDixie on Twitter. 